Welcome to the Beyond the Box Score podcast, sponsored by Church Graphic Design. In this episode, I interview Coach Ricky Hernandez. He's an assistant men's basketball coach at Johns Hopkins. Church Graphic Design, founded by Alex Church, empowers college basketball coaches and executives in pursuit of their dream job. They specialize in creating personalized coaching portfolios, encompassing your coaching career, your biggest accomplishments, and your track record of winning at a high level. Forget a white page typed up Times New Roman resume. To set yourself apart from hundreds during the coaching carousel, work with CGD to set yourself apart in the interview process. Alex spent six years coaching in college as a student manager and as a graduate assistant at UAB under Rob Eason. I've personally known Alex since he was a head manager at Marshall under Dan D'Antoni. He's elite at what he does. Church Graphic Design has worked with the Wasserman Agency, numerous NCAA agents, NBA executives, and hundreds of D1 head coaches and assistants. It doesn't matter whether you're applying to coach at the high school level or a GM in the NBA. He will empower you and place you in the best position to succeed. Check out the show notes and shoot them a DM on Twitter at ChurchGDLLC. Be sure to use the promo code BOXSCORE to receive 10% off your portfolio. You won't be disappointed. Coach, how's it going? It's good, man. Doing well. Thanks for having me today. No problem. Coach, you want to give yourself a brief introduction to our listeners? Sure. Um, Ricky Hernandez, uh, assistant at Johns Hopkins, um, was at Moravian College prior to that and East Stroudsburg University prior to that. Awesome. You know, I hear there are a lot of cows in Lancaster. Now the statute of limitations has expired. Do you ever go cow tiffing growing up? Well, part of my school district was pretty rural uh, and there was, you know, some farms and, and, what have you. And then the other part, which was the part that I lived in was, you know, closer to Lancaster uh, city. So I have never participated in, in, in those activities, but I can't say some of my high school classmates did. Fair enough. What type of high school sports career did you have? Um, a very lackluster one. Um, I played football, basketball, and then my junior and senior year, I ran track um football career um, played receiver and, and cornerback um, our teams were pretty good um, our quarterback uh ended up going to the university of maryland to play quarterback um and then had a couple other guys play some d2 d3 ball um our basketball team was was pretty good as well um, we won the section championship um I had 3,000 point scores on uh, my basketball team that were all my class, 2004. Um, so I wasn't one of them. Um, so I had a lot of assists, but didn't, didn't really score too many points. Um, and then track, I, I really enjoyed, I hate running, um, but I really enjoyed Saturday meets, you know, where you've got 20 different schools and, uh, you know, you're running, uh, you know, uh, an event or two and, and, Outside of that, you're kind of just hanging out with your friends. So those are pretty cool, but um, very uneventful um, in terms of my personal, you know, success or accolades. Now, you played football at Westchester. What made it the right school for you? And did you have any other opportunities to play basketball at the college level? So I was on the football team at Westchester. I, I don't know that I necessarily played, um, but I'm a first generation college um, graduate and, and a large part of why I went to college was because most of my peers uh, were going and, you know, I didn't really have pressure from my parents or anything like that. They just wanted me to, you know, get good grades and, and stay out of trouble. Um, but one um, fall day, um, one of my friends, you know, was like, Hey, I'm going to visit Westchester tomorrow. Um, do you want to come along? And I was like, sure. You know, I'll get it. Uh, an excused absence from school. Uh, we'll go and see, see a university and kind of see what it's about. So Westchester's about 50 minutes from Lancaster. Um, and we got to campus. It was 
really nice. I had some upperclassmen uh, that had graduated from my high school that were attending Westchester that had good things to say about it. Um, and I just thought like, hey, I'm going to see if I can get into school here and um, try and walk on to the basketball team. Um, the defensive coordinator at Westchester and my high school or my high school football coach went to graduate school together. And that's sort of how I, I got um, on the football team. They um, were banged up at receiver. And my first week on campus, you know, they reached out and was like, you know, hey, would you mind coming out and playing scout team? Um, you know, we were interested in you a little bit out of high school, but, you know, I, I didn't really have interest in playing football. Uh, so I ended up playing, uh, you know, football, a bunch of scout team, and it was fun. I met a lot of friends that I still have till this day. In terms of basketball, I didn't really get recruited to play basketball. I got, you know, some mailers from a few schools that, you know, I'm sure they send to, to hundreds of kids, um, but tried to walk onto the team at Westchester and, and, you know, it didn't work out. So just ended up playing football for those years. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you graduated with a degree in psychology, correct? Correct. How has that helped you as a coach? Um, I just think, um, the interpersonal, you know, relationships that you have with your players um, and then just having an idea, um, you know, of, of maybe what makes guys tick and just being a little more in tune with some of the things um, in that regard. Um, I think that's helped, you know, a, a decent amount, but at the same time, like, you don't, you never really know, you know, you just try and be around your guys as much as you can. Um, and, you know, have just honest conversations with them and hopefully you build a relationship to whereas they just, you know, trust you and, and uh, are willing to, you know, share things with you that, um, you know, will allow you to help guide them, you know, through their collegiate career and, and career thereafter. You spent two years on staff at East Strasburg and the PSAC. Talk about how you landed that job there and, and what the league was like. So um, one of my mentors is a guy by the name of Doug Kraft, um, incredible coach and uh, even better human being. Um, he coached at all levels and, and he and the head coach at East Strasburg, um, coach Jeff Wilson, they were really good friends. Um, and I sat in Coach Kraft's living room one, you know, summer evening, and he gave me the rundown of, you know, kind of what coaching collegiately would be like. At the time, I was, you know, just a, a high school assistant, um, and he just stressed to me how, you know, it's, it's not as glamorous as people may think it is. You're not going to make any money. Um, you know, it's, it's an incredibly challenging profession to break into and then ascend in. Um, and the one thing he always said, um, that sort of just stuck with me was like, how many hot dogs are you willing to eat? And at first I was like, I, I, I'm not really sure what you mean. Uh, and he was like, you know, you're not going to make any money. You're going to be scrounging for food. You know, it, it's going to be tough. Like if you're not willing to live that lifestyle, then, you know, I don't think this is going to be for you. Uh, so long story short, he and coach Wilson had a great relationship. Um, I went up and worked East Stroudsburg summer camp. Um, Coach Wilson took a liking to me and was like, hey, I've got a volunteer spot if, if you're interested in that. And at the time, um, I was coaching high school as an assistant. I was working, um, you know, as a behavior specialist in, at home in Lancaster. I owned my own home. And Coach Kraft was just like, hey, if you want to do this at some point, you're going to have to dive in. You can't just dip your toes in. And summer was ending, fall was um, you know, upon us. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to pack my stuff, move, move up to East Stroudsburg, take this opportunity and, and figure out a way to make it work. And, you know, here we are today. I'm curious, you, you mentioned you were a coach in high school. How did you get involved with that uh, coaching experience? It was my alma mater, um, you know, and, and although it was a different head coach, it wasn't my head coach that I had when I uh, played at, at Conestoga Valley. Um, you know, I just went back, went to an open gym and, and the coach at the time, um, 
Brad Hur. He and I, you know, have, they, we knew of one another, but we never actually met. So I just, you know, introduced myself and, and said, hey, I'm, I'm back home. Uh, you know, I've done my undergraduate grad school stuff and, and I wanted to get back into coaching. You know, can I volunteer? Um, he essentially was just like, sure, you know, we, we can use some extra help. We'd love to have you. So I was fortunate to, to you know, be afforded that opportunity. Gotcha. What was a typical day in the life of a volunteer and then graduate assistant at ESU? So the volunteer aspect, like I wanted to try and be in the office as much as I could just to try and learn as, as much as I could. Um, so I would work just odds and end jobs. Um, I worked at Great Wolf Lodge, um, which is like a resort up there in the Poconos um, in the laundry room. And that was an overnight shift. It was from uh, 12 to 8, 12 a.m. to 8 a.m. Um, there were periods where I worked at UPS um, and that was, you know, like 2 to 8 a.m. So a lot of the work that I did was just overnight to allow me to be in the office, you know, as, as much as possible. So I'd work those overnight shifts, you know, go to my apartment, maybe sleep for three or four hours and then get up and, and just go in the office and just be a sponge. Um, you know, Coach Wilson was great at um, giving his assistants, even, even myself as a volunteer, responsibilities and, and empowering us, um, which I think is the best way to learn for me at least. Um, so it could be anything from, you know, monitoring study hall to, you know, rebounding for some guys um, or, you know, holding the cowboy remote and fast forwarding or rewinding, you know, for him as he's going through, um, you know, some film with guys. Um, so, you know, a variety of, of things um, that, you know, allowed me to, to learn. And then once I transitioned into the graduate assistant spot, you know, I was taking two or three classes a day in between classes um, where some, some similar things, I might work a couple guys out, um, you know, I might do some recruiting, um, you know, phone calls or, or just stockpiling, you know, where guys are playing at this week in terms of guys that we are recruiting and just kind of coming up with the schedule uh, so that, you know, coach knows, all right, well, I need to go here or, or I need to go there. Um, working on some camp stuff, um, you know, again, study hall. Um, so just a variety of, of things that go into sort of the day-to-day operations paired with, you know, kind of being a student. You know, you, you helped the Warriors advance to the 2015 PSAC East Championship. Did you feel pressure that season since the previous year they had gone 30-2 and two and advanced to the Sweet 16? I mean, I myself didn't feel pressure. You know, I was just happy to be there um, and just tried to be a sponge and absorb as much as I could from, you know, the great coaches I was around. Um, I obviously, as you mentioned, wasn't there for the year prior. Uh, so, you know, any expectations or, or what have you that uh, may have spilled over, um, I didn't really experience it the year before, so I didn't really know. So I personally didn't, um, you know, feel any added pressure or anything like that. Um, but I do know expectations were high because essentially all but one player uh, you know, returned from that, that team that went 30 and two. Um, so. Okay. Justin Potts, who was previously the associate head coach at ESU hires you to be an assistant at Moravian. How excited were you not to be taking graduate school class and being able to, you know, coach ball? I mean, seeing as I already had a, a master's degree, you know, I was thrilled, right? Like, um, having the opportunity to solely focus on basketball and not have to worry about exams or, or homework or attending class, you know, that, that uh, was really exciting to me. And I wasn't overly familiar with the division three level. So just having that added, um, you know, just exposure to division three and, and being able to learn more about that level um, in a small sort of liberal arts school, uh, you know, was something that, that was really exciting and, and intriguing to me. And, also just the ability to be able to help build something, right? Because I joined at East Stroudsburg and, and Coach Wilson, Coach Potts, they had it rolling, 
right? Like it was already established and it was a, more about maintaining what uh, they had built. Whereas at, uh, at Moravian, Coach Potts inherited a 5-1 team that was at the bottom of the conference. And the plan was to try and build it, uh, you know, to be one of the top teams in the conference and, and contend for conference championships. What is it about the D3 level, you know, that piqued your interest and, and it mainly has made it a level that you've stayed at for so long in your coaching career? Yeah, I mean, that's it's a good question. I think, you know, it's a lot harder to, to get jobs, I think, at, at the Division One and, and probably the Division Two level as well, especially, you know, not having played at either of those levels and, and not really having any, um, you know, a great deal of connections at those levels. Um, but I think I really appreciate the balance at the Division Three level, um, especially for the student athletes, right? Like they aren't on scholarship. In most cases, they're paying, you know, to, to earn a degree and, and be able to play the sport that they love. Uh, so there's time for, uh, you know, the students to be a student. There's time for the students to be an athlete. And there's time for the students to, to have, you know, a healthy uh, and fun social life. So I think being able to um, you know, kind of witness the students having that balance um, has been something that that um, is aligned, that something I'm aligned with, in alignment with. And I think just my own uh, balance in terms of being able to spend time with my family, be around, um, you know, my wife and kid. Um, and then still, you know, not shortchange uh, my guys and, and be able to be around them, uh, you know, from October 15th until um, you know, the end of the season, um, as well, you know, so I, I just think there's a great degree of balance at the division three level. Uh, I'm not opposed to, to coaching at the other two levels, but division three sort of seemed to be, um, where I've been spent the, the majority of my time thus far. Oh, definitely. I couldn't agree more. You know, you, you helped lead Moravian to 39 wins, a pair of landmark conference regular season championships, the 2018 landmark conference tournament title, obviously resulting in a, an NCAA tournament appearance. Aside from the players, what made you guys so successful during that run? Well, I mean, the players, um, they're obviously a, a huge piece, probably the largest piece, right? Um, they bought in to what I think is the, the next most important thing, which was the system and style of play. Um, you know, we were pressing for 40 minutes, full court, um, you know, man zone. And then offensively, we were pushing the ball, you know, hitting it ahead and trying to attack and unset defense as, as frequently as possible. Um, and I think that really allowed us to make the jump as quickly as we did to the top of the conference, uh, you know, it's a, a style that no one in the conference played. Um, you know, the, the powers in the conference at that time were, you know, your Scranton's, your Susquehanna's and, and Catholics and um, Scranton, especially wanted to play slow and, and played with, you know, more traditional bigs that, you know, they were going to win in the fifties and sixties um, throw it in the post. Whereas we said, Hey, we're going to sort of, do the complete opposite, um, you know, of what the top of the league is doing um, and, you know, just be different and, and it'll be to our advantage. Um, the players, you know, deserve a great deal of credit, right? Because when you play that style, you're sacrificing a ton, right? You may be a guy that probably on most teams can play 35 minutes and, and maybe get 17 to 20 points a game. Whereas when you're playing the style that we were playing, you know, you're probably, if you're in really good shape are playing 27 minutes, uh, you know, and you might be averaging about 14 to 15 points. Um, so we had a bunch of guys that were just selfless and, and um, understood that the way that they could achieve, um, you know, what they desired both individually and, and collectively was just being a part of something bigger than them, bigger than themselves and, and buying into 
uh, that style of play. That makes sense. You know, the, the first season you guys win 19 games, uh, which tied a school record for most wins. That was set in 87, 88. Aside from those wins, what I really want to ask you about that season, what do you remember about the dog getting loose in the gym? It was a blur. Um, those greyhounds are pretty fast. You know, it, I, I'd never seen anything like it. It was so the mascots, obviously the greyhounds and behind our bench um, in the top left corner, there was actually like a, a seat that was designated, you know, was created for uh, the, you know, the, the dog um, and the president and, and the dog um, president's wife would sit in that seat and um, you know, one game, all of a sudden the dog just darts out. I don't know what the dog was chasing or, or you know, what provoked it, um, you know, to, to sort of leave its sort of area that, that it traditionally sits in. But um, I want to say it made Sports Center, um, if I'm not, you know, mistaken. It made yeah. Sports Center and it made our scout because we played you the next game. <laughs> <laughs> Beware. <laughs> exactly. Church Graphic Design, founded by Alex Church, empowers college basketball coaches and executives in pursuit of their dream job. They specialize in creating personalized coaching portfolios, encompassing your coaching career, your biggest accomplishments, and your track record of winning at a high level. Forget a white page typed up Times New Roman resume. To set yourself apart from hundreds during the coaching carousel, work with CGD to set yourself apart in the interview process. Alex spent six years coaching in college as a student manager and as a graduate assistant at UAB under Rob Eason. I've personally known Alex since he was a head manager at Marshall under Dan D'Antoni. He's elite at what he does. Church Graphic Design has worked with the Wasserman Agency, numerous NCAA agents, NBA executives, and hundreds of D1 head coaches and assistants. It doesn't matter whether you're applying to coach at the high school level or a GM in the NBA. He will empower you and place you in the best position to succeed. Check out the show notes and shoot them a DM on Twitter at ChurchGDLLC. Be sure to use the promo code BOXSCORE to receive 10% off your portfolio. You won't be disappointed. You know, Coach, the following year, the team breaks the school record for wins, winning 20 uh, record for most points, field goals, three-point field goals, assists, blocks, and steals. You coached four all-conference selections as well as one D3 hoops all-mid-Atlantic honoree. Did you guys feel a chip on your shoulder as far as never being ranked, though, that season? The one thing Coach Potts always stressed was, you know, let's block out the noise and let's just try and be playing our best basketball, you know, going into February and, and uh, you know, hopefully into March. And if we were able to achieve that, then the season was a success, regardless of what the record in terms of wins and losses may have been. Um, that said, it was, our guys were definitely aware and, and you know, at times would feel disrespected um, when we wouldn't be ranked and we may have just beaten two ranked teams in that, you know, in that week. Um, and, you know, some may have thought the style of play was a little fluky or gimmicky or what have you. Um, so I, I would say the guys definitely played with a, a chip on their shoulder. And I think we tried to look for that to some degree, um, you know, just in recruiting, you know, some of the guys we recruited were, felt like they were overlooked and, and under-recruited and, um, you know, felt like they had something to prove and not to the point where it was detrimental, you know, to their success, but just a little added uh, motivation to, to, you know, make them be the hungrier individual and team, you know, night in and night out. Okay. You know, after two, the yeah. After two seasons in Bethlehem, you accepted a full-time position at Johns Hopkins. What was it about coaching at Hopkins that made you leave Moravian and, and, and talk about the commute? <laughs> so um, 
I met coach Josh Leffler while I was at Moravian um, and he was coaching at Loyola. They were in town playing um, Lehigh or Lafayette and where they would get their pregame meals at was down the street from Moravian campus. And the owner of the establishment and I were pretty good friends because we would get our, our meals there as well. And he, uh, on a Wednesday night before our, um, you know, game, I was in there just getting some lunch and he was like, Hey Rick, on Friday, um, the Loyola guys will be in, you know, you should stop in and, and I'll introduce you. Um, and I was like, all right. So I'm on my way back um, from recruiting. I shoot him a text and just like, Hey, I'm, I'm on my way. Um, and that's how coach Leffler and I initially met. Um, and then we kind of, you know, just stayed in touch. Um, he got the, the job at Hopkins. Um, we had just come off, you know, two really good seasons at Moravian. And I wanted to get a little closer to Lancaster, um, Pennsylvania, because that's where my girlfriend um, at the time, now wife, was located. And we were long distance. Um, so Coach Leffler offered me the job. You know, I was like, I'll happily accept it and, and was really excited um, because it allowed me to be closer to my family, but it also allowed me to uh, diversify my resume a bit from the standpoint of, you know, now you're in the high academic space, you have that experience, which then allows me to be a little more marketable uh, overall. I also wanted to learn a different um, style and learn from different people. Working for Coach Wilson, working for Coach Potts, they're unbelievable coaches. Um, a lot of their style defensively, um, specifically, is, is very similar, just with pressing for 40 minutes and what have you. So um, I thought, well, let me go and, and uh, learn from, from Coach Leffler. And that's what I've been able to do. And, and I think it's one of the better decisions I, I made. And I would recommend that to any young um, coach out there is just find people you trust and you believe in and, and that have um, exhibited success and try and go and work for a few of those people just so you can learn, um, you know, as much as you can um, before you, you make that jump to maybe looking to be a, a head coach. Um, so. No doubt. Yeah. I met Josh when he was at Loyola. Uh, it was either 2010, 2011, super nice guy. I'm, I'm sure he doesn't remember meeting me, but uh, I, I was highly impressed by him. So I don't blame you at all. Oh, and you asked about the commute. So I, I still live in Lancaster, um, which to Baltimore, you know, it's about an hour 15 um, one way. So I'm in the car for about two and a half hours, you know, a day, um, which it's not awful, right? You can, uh, you know, get some recruiting calls done. Um, and you can essentially, it gives you a, a decent amount of time to just shut things down. And, and um, you know, that way when you get home, you know, you can actually be home with your family as opposed to kind of trying to unwind while you, you know, are at home. That, that usually isn't the best recipe. Definitely. You know, you guys opened the season at George Mason for a D1 exhibition game. And you guys only lost by 10. You know, I'm curious, what do you remember about that last media timeout? Whew. Well, in the centennial, we didn't have media timeouts. Um, and then even in the, the landmark, we didn't have them except for when we were at uh, Catholic or Goucher. Um, they had a ton of, of sponsorship, I'm guessing, that they were, you know, running some ads during those media timeouts. But um, it was a two possession game at that point, um, you know, with that, that last media timeout. And this is my first um, game, you know, coaching with uh, Hopkins. And I was just impressed at, you know, how our guys were competing and, and we were in the game, you know, with under four to go. Uh, because when I was at Moravian, we played at Lafayette um, and it was close at halftime. And I remember Coach O'Hanlon, you know, kind of letting his guys know, like, hey, we need to, to turn it up here. And in the second half, they kind of took charge and, and blew us away. So just the fact that we were still in the game um, and, and even had a chance potentially to, to win, um, you know, was just impressive. And a testament to our guys, like 
they really compete. They really were dialed in and, and ex- are able to execute, you know, game plans. You know, that first season, you guys go 18 and 9, 14 and 4 in the Centennial Conference. Talk about the league. And I'm curious, what's it like to go up against a guy like Glenn Robinson, who has an award named after him uh, and is Franklin and Marshall diplomats? Yeah. Um, so we lost uh, Connor Delaney that year. He got hurt, I want to say, in the ninth game. Uh, so we played the, the vast majority of the year without him. And he was our leader, um, you know, an All-American um, you know, one of the best players in, in Hopkins history. Um, so the rest of our guys that, you know, we had stepped up and then collectively, um, you know, pulled together to, to allow us to have a really good season, uh, make the conference championship, um, win 19 games, and, you know, unfortunately lose to Swarthmore in the conference championship. But um, in terms of, you know, coaching against Coach Robinson, like, living in Lancaster, right? Franklin and Marshall was in Lancaster. So it's in my backyard. I've grown up, you know, knowing who coach Robinson was, um, or, you know, who coach Robinson is, um, and how storied a program, you know, Franklin and Marshall, um, is and what he he's done at that, at that place. Um, you know, so they were always a tough out, you know, they're always going to hard hedge you, um, which, isn't as frequent, right? You don't see that as much anymore. So it's always a little tougher to prepare for. Um, You know, they're going to run a ton of box sets. Um, And, you know, we were fortunate not to to lose to Franklin and Marshall that year, I don't believe. Uh, But going against coach, uh, a legend like Coach Robinson, uh, you know, you better bring your A game because he's going to have his guys prepared. You know, in 2020, you guys win the Centennial Conference Championship, make an NCAA tournament appearance. Uh, you guys started 8-0, including wins over ranked teams like Christopher Newport. How difficult is it and was it particularly that season to keep guys grounded during a win streak like that? Yeah, I mean, I think in that scenario – Right. Like that early in the year, there's sometimes where you have three game weeks. Um, you know, it isn't your traditional Wednesday, Saturday. So I think the games were coming at, at, you know, just such a pace that, you know, it was just on to the next one. And you didn't even really have time to, to you know, pat yourself on the back because it was always like, all right, let's get ready for the next um, opponent. And then, you know, I think the guys that are, at Hopkins are really high achieving individuals, right? Hopkins is one of the hardest, um, you know, places to, to be admitted to. So they've been fairly successful the entirety of their lives, especially academically. Um, so, you know, it, I don't think it's necessarily anything that, that they're unaccustomed to. Um, and then coach Leffler isn't going to allow them that, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, get on a high horse or, or really get too full of themselves. Cause he, he does a good job of bringing them back to reality pretty quickly. And it's an old adage. It's tough to beat a team three times in a season. You were the only team to beat Swarthmore during the 1920 season. What do you remember about that Centennial conference championship game? The last 10 seconds. Right. We Connor Delaney gets the ball. And he essentially tells coach, like, don't call a timeout. I got it. Um, and he allows the, the clock to go down. We sort of go one for low. He gets to a spot, elevates and the rest was history. No, the other thing I was just going to say is just uh, how elated our, our guys were and the way they, you know, stormed the floor and, and, uh, embraced Delaney and, and, you know, each other, uh, you know, a few fist pumps in there. Uh, but those are probably the two things I, I remember most. You guys played three exhibition games in 2020, 21. How tough was it to see other teams play full schedules 
and the scholarship levels to play a postseason? I mean, I think we were just grateful that we were able to have something um, in those three games because while there were, you know, Division One had, you know, full season and, and some other leagues might have had four or more than three game seasons, there were a handful of, you know, leagues out there that didn't have anything. Um, so I think we were just operated from a place of gratitude and, and we're just thankful that we were able to have something. You know, past years, especially since you've been there, you guys have really had that thing rolling. What are the team goals for you guys each season? Is it you guys want to be playing, you know, national championship? Is it one game at a time? Is it, you know, get a get an at-large bid? You know, what, what's the mindset at Hopkins? Yeah, um, I think – our goal is to win the regular season, um, you know, the conference regular season, to win the conference tournament, um, and then to ultimately win a national championship. Um, I think those three things, uh, you know, are, are where our mind is at. And obviously the first two, um, you know, winning the regular season is the probably the most important just because that shows consistency, right, that you were able to be – the best team in your league over, you know, a 25 game schedule. Um, and then, you know, like I said, win the conference championship and, and then obviously make the NCAA tournament and, and try and go win a national championship. We, um, you know, feel like we're able to recruit, you know, talented enough individuals that, you know, are willing to work and commit themselves to continuous improvement and, uh, you know, just put themselves in, in the best position to make our team as tough and out as, as possible. So, you know, we don't necessarily talk a ton about, you know, winning a national championship or anything like that, but uh, that is, you know, sort of that third layer of our, uh, of our goal. You know, if you will, we focus primarily on winning the regular season and the conference championship. And then sort of that uh, NCAA tournament is just like another season in and of itself. No doubt. Coach, kind of a two-part question. One, what are your career aspirations? And part two, what would the right opportunity look like for you to accept the head coaching position? And so uh, I have aspirations to be a head coach. Um, you know, I think when I initially was getting into the business, um, you know, it was Division One, Division One, Division One. Um, but the longer that I've, I've been in the business, you know, there's great coaches everywhere, right? There's great coaches in high school. Um, there's great coaches, NAIA, division three, division one, division two. Um, so I, you know, like I said, just have aspirations to lead my own program, um, and have success, um, you know, at that place. And, and what that looks like for me is just having a positive impact. Uh, on young men that I interact with and, and um, you know, just helping build on the foundation that their parents, you know, have laid um, in terms of just their development and, you know, the four years that they'd be with me, uh, just trying to help them develop uh, on the court, off the court and, and having them know, you know, that I'll, I'll be there for them, you know, pretty much till I'm on the other side of the dirt. So, uh, in short, you know, I'd love to be a head coach um, in terms of what situation would um, what would the situation need to be to, to, to try and achieve that? Well, first, someone needs to think high enough of me to hire me as a, as a head coach. Right. But uh, I'm in a really good spot uh, at Hopkins. I, I have a great boss. Um, you know, we've got a great thing going. So I, I am not in a hurry to go, but if the right opportunity presents itself that I think um, is a place where, you know, we can go and, and win and be successful and, and I can have an impact um, on young men, you know, then, then I'll definitely 
jump at that. Uh, the one thing that, you know, I'm not necessarily willing to, um, you know, budge on, if you will, is just uh, location. Um, you know, I, I would ideally like to stay sort of in the Northeast. Um, or, you know, most of my family's in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. My wife's family's in Harrisburg, uh, Pennsylvania. So I would say ideally anywhere within like a three hour radius of that, um, I'm open to. Um, and then there are some, some jobs outside of that, right, that are just, you know, elite level jobs that, you know, if they had some interest in me, I'd, I'd definitely um, look into those. But for the most part, that's, that's sort of um, where we're at. Uh, that's a great mindset to have. Okay, coach, time for everybody's favorite segment, Start Bench Cut, sponsored by Church Graphic Design. Sounds good. <laughs> Jordan, LeBron, Kobe. Mm. That's tough. <clears throat> that is tough. So you said start, bench, cut? Mm-hmm. We're going to start MJ. We're going to bring Kobe off the bench and we're going to have LeBron coach the team. I don't know that we're necessarily cutting him, but he's going to coach, be the GM, all of those things. All right. Late night food stop. Sheets, Wawa, Wendy's. That's an easy one. Wawa is starting. Um, Wendy's is coming off the bench and sheets is a cut. Um, I'm not really a big sheets guy. Um, Wawa all day. Um, and then, you know, I don't mind a, a frosty, you know, some fries to dip in my frosty and, you know, some nuggets. I, I can get down with that. <laughs> okay. As far as uh, Hopkins graduates, Davey Johnson, Major League Baseball manager, Wes Unsell Jr., Andy Enfield. Whew. You're trying to get me in trouble. <laughs> um, we're, we're starting Wes. Um, we're bringing uh, Andy off the bench. Uh, I'm not a huge baseball guy. Uh, you know, so we're going to stick to the hoops, uh, you know, no disrespect, but that's, that's who we'd go with. I, f- I figure the basketball guys would be playing in the game and, and probably are the ones who, uh, let's just say contribute to the program most. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Coach Mo- took a tough, tough loss last night, but you know, hopefully they can make some, some noise in the tournament. Yeah. Uh, movies. He got game blue chips. White man can't jump. Hmm. He got game, blue chips, white man can't jump. So we're starting. He got that game. The next one is tough. This is probably the toughest question you've asked me thus far. Um, we probably got to go with he got, or excuse me, uh, white man can't jump off the bench, and, and I think we're going to have to cut blue chips. Okay. Shaq and Penny, they, they, you know, they're good being, being cut on, on this one. They can stick to hooping in, in real life. Last one, coach. Hoop dirt, verbal commits, transfer portal. It's a interesting one. Um, we're going to cut probably verbal commits um, just strictly off the fact of like, we're not recruiting too many scholarship level guys, um, you know, and it, it doesn't really provide me as much information uh, that's, you know, just useful, um, you know, if you will. Um, the transfer portal obviously is, is, a very interesting world these days, especially with the, the added 
year due to COVID. Um, so I would say start the transfer portal, bring hoop dirt off the bench. Um, yeah, that's that's probably what I go with it. It's that one is probably equally as tough, just because uh, I don't necessarily use a ton of them. You know, they they don't cons consume too much. Uh, you know, it's good to, to kind of just be informed with some of the hoop dirt stuff in, in terms of what's going on. Um, but you usually get that, you know, one way or another anyhow. So. Coach, who are three guests I should have on the podcast? It's a good question. Um, you should have Coach Potts on for sure. Um, you should have Coach Leffler on, and then we're gonna go Coach Wilson. All of the guys that I've I've. Uh, that were fortunate or I've been fortunate enough to, to work for that, you know, decide thought enough of me to give me a job. Hey, I, th I think they were fortunate enough to have you as well. So that's a two way street. Uh, I don't know if, I don't know how they'd feel about that. But <laughs> okay. <laughs> Coach, what advice do you have for coaches trying to get in the business or work their way up, especially those who don't have a playing career at the college level? Well, I think I touched on on one of the pieces earlier was just, you know, you don't necessarily want to, I don't think it's the best thing to just hop around, right, and, and kind of jump from program to program. Uh, but I do think it's hugely beneficial and valuable to, like I said, find guys that, that you respect, that you trust, that are proven winners. Um, and try and work for a few of those uh, individuals just because I think everyone's style oftentimes is, is, you know, just so different, especially if they aren't associated with the same tree. Uh, so I just think you're, you're able to learn so much in those scenarios. Like you can obviously watch film and, and go to practices and, you know, do all that stuff. But when you're entrenched in the day-to-day you know, I just think the amount that you learn is, is just uh, incredible. Um, so that would be, you know, one piece of advice. Um, another piece of advice I would give is just, you know, don't be afraid to, to ask questions. And um, when you're on a staff, you know, really use your, um, you know, the assistants that are, that are on the staff, um, just to, you know, pick their brains, you know, kind of work very closely, you know, with them. Um, I know that's, you know, just been something that has been hugely work very closely and, and learn from them. Um, we, I've been fortunate enough to be on staffs where our assistants have been incredible. Um, you know, Matt Colpoise, who's, who's on staff now with us, um, you know, is brilliant. Um, you know, he's, he's definitely a rising star in our profession. And, and I've learned a ton, you know, from him. Um, you know, I was able to spend some time at Hopkins with Trevor Johnson, um, who's now the head coach at, at Buena Vista and has turned that program around, was able to learn some stuff from him. Um, Sean Rossi, who's down at, at Montclair State with Coach Potts, um, you know, learned a ton from him. Um, so, you know, don't get caught up and think you can only learn from the head coach, right? Like the assistants, I think just kind of picking each other's brains, bouncing stuff off one another and, and just learning and, and, you know, stealing things from, um, just style and, and, um, preparation and, and things like that, I think is, is, has definitely helped me a ton. So th those are two things I would say is just work for, you know, a variety of people that, you trust think are really good and, and have been proven and then the staffs that you are on I think it's obvious that you're learning from the head coach but also learn from you know the assistants that are on your staff the assistants that are in the department 
the other head coaches that are in the department, right? Like don't just restrict it to your head coach. Um, so. No, that's so true, coach. You know, if listeners want to get in touch with you, email, social media, uh, what have you, what's the best way? Um, probably email. Um, you know, it's on the website, uh, HernandezR at jhu.edu. Um, you know, I'm on Twitter, but more so as a consumer. Um, you know, if you follow me, I'm a pretty boring follow. I don't, you know, I don't really post uh, much. Um, in fact, I don't, let me look at my phone. I don't even think I know my handle. Um, it's uh, at Hernandez underscore R underscore. Um, you know, and, and I respond to the messages and things like that in there. Um, but, you know, I'm not, I don't spend uh, too much time just, you know, scrolling through um, Twitter, but email's definitely a good way. Uh, but, you know, Twitter would be fine also. Coach, as I mentioned off the air, man, I, I think the world of you, I think really admired uh, you from afar and just really think you're a rising star in the business. So, uh, you know, can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. Hey, man, I, I appreciate it. You're the first person that's thought enough of me to, to have me on a podcast. So, uh, you know, I, I, the feeling is, is mutual and, and uh, you know, I respect what you're doing and, and um, you know, just giving us a, a platform to have our voice be heard is, is um, you know, something I definitely appreciate. So, so thank you. No doubt, man. I'll- Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave reviews, and rate five stars.